0: Welcome to this episode of the A to Z of Tech, where we're talking about I for IoT, the Internet of Things. We're joined today by Jo Gilbert from the GSMA, where she is the IoT Emerging Enablers Lead. You'll decrypt what that means in a moment for us, as well as PwC's own Matt Wixie, who leads a lot of our research projects in the cybersecurity team. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you
1: for having me.
2: Yeah, thank you. So IoT, I think, is also maybe commonly known as connected devices as well. And I think they're really fairly commonplace um, so that might be kind of smart watches, smart fridges, um, connected home alarm systems. And there's some crazy figure floating around that there's going to be 41 billion connected IoT devices by 2025, which I think this massive scale really shows the importance of why we were talking about that today. Um, so Joe, if we turn to you first, could you tell us a little bit about what the
3: GSMA does? Yeah, sure. So, um, the GSMA is a membership organisation that represents the interests of um, just over 750 mobile network operators across the world, um, and uh, it has a few different departments. and And I work particularly in the technology directorate, and within the technology directorate, we have a num- directorate we have a number of programs, and one of those programs is the IoT program.
0: Brilliant. And before we get into what you do every day at work, can you give our listeners an overview of the Internet of Things? There's lots of misconceptions around IoT, uh, about it being limited to toasters and fridges, but I'm sure there's more to it.
3: Yeah, sure. So, you know, as we've kind of already suggested, um, the IoT is really around um, everyday objects that can have, that can be embedded with sensors and um, software and then be connected to the Internet And this enables the object to um, collect information and exchange data and and also potentially be responsive to situations. So um, there's almost limitless potential. We're very familiar perhaps with, um, you know, being able to manage our heating and lighting at home via our iPads or via our smart speakers. Um, But as we've already said, quite a lot of people now have wearables such as... um, the smart watchers that can measure things like our heartbeat and the number of steps and the kind of activity we do and then that data can be shared with other applications and used for uh, different purposes
0: and what are some of the enablers of the internet of things Um, for example we're now in the era where 5g is really starting to be rolled out in, in a serious way is that that's one technology that's kind of making the iot really functional isn't it
3: Um, Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the interesting things about IoT is the real convergence of a number of technologies. So I think historically, uh, this came from an area of machine to machine or M2M, which was focused in um, industry and looking at how business processes can might be um, automated more um, by being aware of what's going on the production line, for example. And then, as um, technology has evolved, and we have the ability for the devices to be smarter, and we have a, a, a much broader um, range of um, uh, connectivity opportunities and faster speeds for connectivity, yeah, it's really helped the IoT to um, a- expand and get into just every potential industry.
2: So, how does this relate to your specific role at the GSMA?
3: Okay, so within the GSMA, um, I work with mobile network operators and the industry to look for um, opportunities um, in the IoT space. So, traditionally, obviously, mobile network operators can provide connectivity, but IoT is is much, much more than that. And there's an awful lot of potential capabilities that can be applied um, to develop solutions. So, within the IoT program that I mentioned, I work in the capabilities team, and that looks at some of the opportunities for operators and some of the emerging technologies um, that might be related to IoT going forward, such as um, you know, edge computing, um, blockchain, um, AI, big data, that kind of thing.
0: Fantastic. So you've hinted at some of the real world applications of the Internet of Things. Would you like to give us some examples?
3: Yeah, sure. So um, I was involved in a project a, uh, 18 months or so ago, which was really interesting in terms of its application and all of the uh, different types of technology that it was using. So this was in uh, Sao Paulo in Brazil, where they suffer from quite high um, air pollution and lots of difficulty with heavy traffic. And this particular um, use case looked at um, how they could potentially predict um, pollution levels in particular parts of the uh, city. And this was done by uh, using sensors that were measuring the uh, pollution levels and the local weather in the area. And it combined that information against um, population movement that was taken by anonymizing and aggregating uh, uh, information from the mobile phone network. And um, putting all of that information into a machine learning algorithm, uh, we were able to um, predict how the traffic movement around the city would impact the air pollution within 24 to 48 hours in advance. So this had such an amazing impact on Giving the municipality the opportunity to warn their uh, residents and particularly those who might be suffering from, um, you know, uh, uh, problems with breathing problems or susceptibility to pollution to warn them about when pollution levels might be high and which part of the city to avoid. It also, in the longer term, of course, could help um, cities with planning uh, for, you know, traffic movements in the future. So I think that was a really interesting and an exciting um, example of how IoT and other technology and um, big data can really start to influence uh, how we build our cities and make life better for people.
0: And presumably you don't need to go so far as Sao Paulo to find a, a very polluted city where you could employ <laughs> such, a, such a system.
3: I understand that, that um, the, the similar model is also being um, uh, deployed uh, in uh, Madrid as well so I think the uh, the experience is being um, used elsewhere which is great.
0: Brilliant are there any other examples that you found particularly interesting which you'd like to tell us? About? Um,
3: taking a slightly different turn um, another uh, project that I've been working on this year and we've recently produced a paper on is looking at uh, strawberry production um, in greenhouses in China so um, you know we, we know that the population is growing and we know that the demand for food is going to increase but the pressure that we're putting on the planet we need to look at more sustainable production and a lot of the uh, sustainable development goals all look at um, uh, elements that touch food production so we um deployed an IoT solution. Well, well, one of our mobile network operators deployed an IoT solution um, with a medium-sized strawberry producer in China, and looking at how they could improve the efficiency of the crop. So, the IoT sensors monitored the environments within the greenhouse and um, were connected to a uh, server that then um, allowed the information to drive some of the management systems within the greenhouse. So, for example, the irrigation systems and um, the fans uh, that Dealt with the um, air cooling, etc., and um, the impact of that was really impressive. We we saw over the course of the season, the yield um, increased by just over half. And um, the other thing that was quite interesting was the strawberry production was uh, uh harvest was uh, came 20 days earlier and that's a, a really interesting opportunity for a small to medium-sized producer when the um availability of strawberries is low and you can get in there and uh, command a higher pr- price potentially um so that was really interesting and it, they also reported to us that the quality of the strawberries were higher which is really great in that says a lot for, for potential profitability, but the other side of it that um I, was really interesting for me was the number of inputs um decreased significantly by fifty percent so they used fifty percent less water and fifty percent less fertilizer um I think probably i don't know if we have any gardeners, but uh, you're you're always a little bit keen to just put a little bit of extra fertilizer on when you're judging by eye. So uh, when we have the opportunity to measure this in a scientific way and have decisions made on the uh, environment, then um, I think it's really interesting how how um how much we were able to save and how much um, revenue opportunity we gave to that strawberry producer so the exciting thing about that is it's a fully replicable model it was a commercial pilot and uh, that's been rolled out um to not not only just to the strawberry producers but to other um crop producers within greenhouses um in china so I, th- I thought that was very interesting.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And it seems like that's, that's one kind of critical application of the Internet of Things. And when you think of um, precision farming essentially being uh, critical for, uh, for the future of humanity, think about how you know, estimates vary, but there being only 70 to 100 harvests left at the current rates of industrial and agricultural production, erosion of topsoil, all of that. So it seems like this is, this is one potential potential solution.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. When we're thinking about the future of food and how we are going to continue to feed the population, then um, IoT is a a really um, interesting way to really improving the efficiencies.
2: I think speaking from personal experience, my lack of gardening skills, I could definitely do with some IoT input going on <laughs> in my garden, I think. Um, <laughs> so we've heard there a couple of the, like the positive beneficial uses that having really tangible outputs and impact um, based on this kind of ten- connected technology. But I think as well, it's also important if we look at the flip side of this and think about some of the security implications as well. So one of the examples that sprang to my mind was the um, emergence of the Mirai botnet in 2016, which for those of you who are maybe not familiar with that, was basically a huge network of unsecured devices um, that were sort of harnessed and then used maliciously to bring down um, a number of, of websites worldwide. Um, so this is where we turn to our second guest in the studio, Matt, um, could you tell us a little bit more um, about some of the kind of research you're currently looking at with regards to IoT?
1: Yeah, so um, we look at a kind of variety of devices across R&D. We look at kind of emerging attack vectors, um, not just with regards to IoT, but kind of generally. Um, But with regards to IoT specifically, uh, we have looked at the kind of capability perhaps for uh, attacks to have some kind of physical impact in the real world. Um, So for example, one of the things we've done is look at home security alarms, uh, smart security alarms and how an attacker, either remotely or locally, might be able to disable those or spoof signals coming from them, uh, which could in turn enable perhaps burglaries and that kind of thing. Uh, And then looking at countermeasures for those attacks we developed, uh, getting in touch with the manufacturers um, and that sort of thing.
2: So when you say spoofing signals, what does that actually mean?
1: So that could mean something like, um, typically with those devices you have some sort of hub that sits in the centre and then you have um, As Joe said, you'd have sensors kind of around um, that might be attached to doors or windows or something like that. And typically they connect to the hub um, using some sort of RF signal. And an attacker within a reasonable sort of range could spoof signals so that if one of those sensors is tripped, um, that signal perhaps doesn't get to the hub or perhaps it um, appears as something different to the hub, um, which would enable someone to break in potentially.
0: And you... Gained a fair amount of coverage in the media this summer, I think it's fair to say, when you spoke about the potential for weaponizing smart devices, which is where it gets particularly spicy. Tell us more about
1: that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was um, yeah an interesting project. Um, it wasn't necessarily looking just at smart devices, but smart devices were a big part of it. So that was looking at the feasibility of an attacker uh, causing a speaker or some sort of device with a speaker to emit harmful um, levels of sound, typically either kind of ultrasonic or infrasonic frequency. So above or below um, what's normally considered the threshold of human hearing. Um, So some of the devices we looked at included uh, smart speakers, Bluetooth speakers, smart headphones, Um, and particularly with the smart speaker, um, what we found was that by uh, attacking that device and causing it to play ultrasound for a particular period of time we were able to melt components inside the speaker um a very strong burning smell came out of it um smell of burning plastic and the the smart speaker then ceased to function properly as a speaker
2: um so i read a statistic recently that said um about 65 percent of businesses are going to be adopting iot devices in one form or another by 2020 by next year so we're thinking about this at a personal level, so talking about home alarm systems and um, smart speakers, but do we need to think about this at kind of like an organizational level as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think as, um, as Joe's case studies highlighted, uh, there's a trend for IoT becoming part of increasingly uh, important and kind of critical uh, infrastructure, and that's gonna make it potentially a lot more attractive to certain types of attackers. Um, So if you look at smart cities or connected vehicles, which have kind of some element of IoT, the potential impacts of a threat actor um, being able to launch a ransomware attack against vehicles, for instance, um, which would kind of lock them unless a ransom is paid or cause a kind of denial of service attack um, amongst, uh, you know, roadside sensors or power grids or something like that, um, you know, is certainly increasingly feasible. Um, So yeah, definitely it's going to be kind of more at an organisational level than than ever before.
2: So you've mentioned there the use of default passwords and how you can access lists of these online. Um, Presumably that's one of the reasons why there are so many security issues kind of arising around connected devices. Um, Are there any other factors? So for example, um, security by design is often a term that's sort of flung around when it comes to, to IoT.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's kind of a, a tendency perhaps um, certainly historically for IoT devices to not have security built in. The emphasis has been on uh, getting the connected part of it out there uh, and getting it onto the market. From what I've seen, uh, a lot of manufacturers have kind of learned from this from the last kind of all six or seven years and have started to build security into it. Um, but certainly there are trends with IoT devices to have particular sorts of vulnerabilities. So in addition to uh, default passwords, another one would be to have um, certain ports open. Um, So certain um, services running on ports, which would enable threat actors to um, potentially gain control of those without authentication. They're almost kind of backdoor accounts, if you see what I mean. And that's again something that that, um, many botnets have targeted specifically in the past.
0: So we've heard from both of you both about the potentially beneficial uses the obviously beneficial uses of this kind of technology but some of the the, the downsides the potential fit pitfalls. So when there's so much potential for getting things wrong and when our decision making is kind of inherently short sighted how do we make sure that the technology lives up to its potential? Joe, I'll put that question to you first.
3: Good question. Um I think for me, one of the things we need to be really mindful of with IoT is it's very much about data, and it's about what data we're collecting, where is it going, what are we doing with it, and you know what might happen in the future. So, um, I think we've already talked about we mentioned security by design, etc. But I think it's absolutely critical that um, those considerations are are made. Um, the, the other side, just just generally f- from Um, an IoT perspective is it's an incredibly complicated ecosystem and I think one of the things that's clear is it's not the kind of area where a single player can produce the end-to-end solution. The skill set that's required across the value chain um, is quite varied and so um, requires different entities to supply the different parts. So I think partnerships um, is is critical to successful IET solutions and everybody having that same view about what I mentioned before, uh, about the data, about, the you know, having the same objectives around de- developing a successful solution. Um, th- those things that we need to consider, you know, they, you have to be considered by every party, basically.
1: Brilliant. Um, and Matt, your perspective on that question. Uh, so I think um Joe's absolutely right. It's a question of partnership. It's a question of, I think, coming at it, uh, from multiple angles as well. I think um, regulation potentially is, is important. I think the security community has been highlighting vulnerabilities and problems with IoT devices for a long, long time. Um, and as I mentioned, there is a, a trend in some manufacturers um, to start building in security. I think that that's something that regulation potentially could help with. I also think there's a, a user awareness piece as well, a kind of education piece. Um, I think guidelines are absolutely the right way to go. I think, um, you know, there are consumer advice groups which give specific um, tips to people purchasing IoT devices on what they should look for, um, what things might be kind of warning flags, advice on passwords and security principles and that kind of thing. So I think coming at it from those two angles um, would would definitely help.
2: So I think given that obviously data is a big part of this, then regulation is something that's already has already been discussed and continues to be discussed around um, connected devices. You mentioned user awareness and education as well as as being an important part of this. So do you think there are any sensible steps that either individuals or wider organisations can take to make sure that they're on the one hand benefiting from this kind of technology, but also doing that in a secure way? Um, Matt, I'll look at
1: you. Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, so at PwC, we're currently working on some consumer guidelines um, for people to, if they're thinking of purchasing an IT device or they've just bought one, sort of things to do. Um, examples of that include things like, um, is there a unique password per device that you're aware of? Does it come with a default password? Are you encouraged to change your password? Um, looking at public guidance on how to construct good passwords, Um what are the terms and conditions that come with the device in terms of what that device is doing with your data, where is it sending it off to, what sort of data is it collecting, um, and, and sort of things like that. So yeah, we have, um, so we have something in the works around specific guidelines for consumers and for businesses as well who are kind of integrating IoT devices. I suppose, the, but that also depends upon people kind of being aware that the device
0: that they've Purchase actually forms part of the Internet of Things. So there's the kind of a whole. There's a whole awareness um, play as, uh, as well, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a wider um, security education piece. I think that that um, perhaps needs to take place around perhaps just realizing what IoT is and why potentially it's attractive to attackers. Um, what sort of benefits an attacker could get from it? So yeah, certainly.
0: Maybe talking to to Louise's comment about about regulation. To what extent do you think that should be a consumer problem as opposed to a regulator's slash law enforcement agency's problem? <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> there's a question that occurred to me at the moment. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, uh,
1: <laughs> I can I can have a go at it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, I think uh, potentially there's there's uh, there's multiple dimensions to that. So there is a a trading standards regulation side of it. There's a um, potentially a law enforcement side of it. There's an import side of it. Kite marking potentially you could look at, um, and there is a a manufacturer responsibility you could argue as well. Um, in the same way that a software vendor has kind of a responsibility, you you could argue to make their product safe um, to ensure that um, it's hopefully as far as possible, free of vulnerabilities when it's released to the market, but also that there is a security process in place so that if vulnerabilities are discovered in a piece of software, that they are there's a process for reporting that and a process for mitigating that vulnerability.
0: And Joe, do you think there's a risk that we'll become too reliant on the Internet of Things? And if so, what's our analogue fallback when things fail?
3: Um, will we become too reliant? Well, I guess um iot is giving us the capacity for things that are not possible without it you know so um, it's creating new opportunities so may we become reliant on those opportunities potentially and then maybe the fallback is you know before we had iot but you know as time's moving on i think maybe the same question is are we all currently reliant on the internet anyway um because Really, what IoT is doing is it's expanding access to the internet beyond humans to, to also things. So I just see it as a continuum, I guess.
2: So if I ask you both to whip out your crystal balls and looking forward, are there any particular sort of trends or use cases that you're actually quite excited about seeing coming to fruition? Jo, I'll ask you first.
3: Okay. Um, yes, we're really starting to see um, a convergence of new technologies. And this for me is really exciting. Um, earlier this year in August, I went to the Netherlands um, and saw a, a demonstration in um, a 5G field lab. And um, this was using um, a, autonomous robots in a, in a field that was growing sugar beet. And in the previous year, the field um, had potatoes growing in it. And when the potatoes get left over, so, you know, they harvest potatoes, but a few get left behind. And when those potatoes get left behind, they can cause disease to the sugar beet. And so the demonstration that I saw was an autonomous robot that was moving across the field. And underneath it had cameras and it was taking images of the plants and using the 5g connectivity it was sending the images to an edge server as we mentioned earlier and within the edge server there was a machine learning um, artificial intelligence algorithm that was identifying is this plant a potato plant or is it a beet plant and when it was identified as a potato plant it sent uh, information back to the robot um, to deploy um uh, some herbicide to destroy the potato plant and um I think that's one example of how all of these technologies are converging to um, do absolutely amazing things. You know, this this beet field was completely enormous. And the reality is that um, the cost of doing that by hand is is high. Um, it's difficult to get us the semi-skilled labour to be able to tell the difference between a beet plant and a potato plant. And then even if you can, they don't necessarily want to be doing that job so these uh technology solutions um are solving solving problems that have been around for 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 a long long time so i'm excited about convergence
2: potato facial recognition absolutely (laughs) 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 and that is there anything in particular that you're kind of excited about maybe from a kind of an exploiting some niche security vulnerabilities in the future
1: yeah i don't know if i'd say excited uh maybe more worried i think (laughs) (laughs) um I think that there has been a tendency uh, certainly in the last few years for for researchers to go beyond i think as as you said fridges and toasters and that kind of thing and to focus their attention more to devices which are perhaps more critical um so particularly in the last few years uh, a number of vulnerabilities have been found in uh, medical implants in pacemakers and in insulin pumps and that sort of thing um and the criticality of those vulnerabilities is is quite concerning um so it will certainly be interesting to see i think in the next few years how that develops um and how um manufacturers deal with those challenges that they perhaps haven't had before they certainly haven't had people kind of looking specifically for vulnerabilities in their devices um and how kind of we as a society react to those possibilities those kind of um, those attack possibilities that you know potentially someone could be um, harmed remotely or locally through an attack against your pacemaker or your insulin pump Um, and what the reaction to that is in terms of uh, legislation and policy and regulation Um, so yeah it will be interesting (laughs) (laughs)
2: Brought us back down to
1: yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> So, something we'd like
0: to ask both of you, because this is an emerging and fast moving field, and 10 years ago you probably wouldn't have found these jobs. <laughs> um, uh, so, we'd be interested to hear how you both came to be doing what you do now. Joe, if I can ask that question to you first.
3: Okay. Um, well, my background is in product management. Um, actually, I've been in the mobile industry for most of my career. And after a business degree, um, got into product management, but I, I became more interested in the product development side and, and also the product enabler side. So I kind of moved gently over the years into to that area. And then around 10 years ago, I um, wanted to consolidate my technical knowledge, so completed a MSc. Um, to, uh, and, and I think that gave me the uh, sort of the grounding to be able to more confidently move into a technical directorate um and, but as i've already said my my role is around how the technology can be applied and how businesses can harness the technology so a bit of a technical understanding a bit of a business understanding
1: Matt, i have a uh, yeah quite a weird path um so my Good. We like weird yes. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah we might be here a while um my uh, my bachelor's degree was in english language and literature um i originally wanted to be a writer or a journalist or something like that um bit of a loose end at university so i joined the met police and i was there for eight years um started off just on the street in uniform and then um graduated to kind of open source intelligence went from there to um as joe said just kind of being curious about technology um so I was self-taught um got into security Um, headed up like an R&D team in the Met Police where we were looking at um, emerging technologies that criminals were using and that sort of thing. Came to PwC as a penetration tester originally, so an ethical hacker, um, and then moved from that into what I do now, R&D. So yeah, it's been a a weird journey.
0: (laughs) It is an atypical journey.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And if any of our listeners would like to hear a bit more about some of the research that you were both involved in, are there any particular places that they can go to?
3: for the gsma many of our case studies are on um, gsma.com in the iot area and um, there's there's lots of information covered the security guidelines that i mentioned and matt
1: yeah if you search for pwc cyber research uh, you will get links to to various uh, talks and papers and things that we've written Uh, a lot of our conference talks are recorded and they're available on youtube as well
2: brilliant thank you
0: So on that note, after this very brief snapshot of uh, a huge and fascinating topic, unfortunately we have to draw things to a close, but Joe and Matt, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. you. I must say, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and tell your friends and colleagues about us. We want to hear your feedback, so leave a message uh, or a review. Tell us on Twitter. I'm at Hugo101, and Louise is at at LuTagTech. Make sure to join us next time for J for jargon. Thank you.